two. How's it going, everybody? And thank you again for tuning in to Big Gold Belt Media. We have a very, very special guest today uh, because my hometown promotion of Battle Club Pro is crowning a new franchise champion. And the man we have with us today, some is saying, is the favorite to win this tournament, is the favorite or the should have been crowned a long time ago champion, the uncrowned champion of Battle Club Pro. Uh, one of my personal favorites to watch on the indies uh, is Battle Club, and I'm grateful to have Mick Drake on right now to basically talk about not only just the event, but also just what makes him tick, what makes him work, what, how, how does being him work in wrestling. So without further ado, folks, I am Damon G. Thank you so much at Damon G Show on all your social media platforms. Mick, thank you for joining me. Damon, thank you for having me. And I, I got to tell you, you know, some people are saying that I'm the favorite. I know I'm saying I'm the favorite going into it. Right. Like, I'll just throw it up there. Like, I'm not I'm not going to play Mr. Humble, Mr. Oh, let's make the best thing win. Like, <laughs> if you know me, you know that's not how I roll. Like, yeah, right. I, I am the favorite going in. Like, your buddy, you, whoever else you're cheering for, they are the underdog. So let's start there, actually. Let's start at, at why do you think you deserve to be the one talked about going into this to this match, to this show, for instance? So uh, so let me let me flip that around on you just a little bit. So sure. I don't necessarily mind if people don't talk about me going into it. My concern is that they talk about me after it's over, right? Yeah. That's what I'm that's what I'm focused on. I'm a results guy, right? Like talk is cheap. Show me the action. Show me the results, right? That's that's what happens in one part of my life, and that's something I take into wrestling too. Um, and I think right now this show, Battle Club Pro, has the opportunity to put on something that people have been missing, right, that people haven't seen in a long time. We ha we've kind of had a little bit of a break the last year, but even in the time going up to that, like I'm just going to say it, and people aren't going to like me for saying this, but any wrestling stale, man. Indie wrestling yeah. is stale. Like it's the same stuff over and over and over. Right. And like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's okay. If that's what you like, but I think we can do better. Right. Innovation mm -hmm. is the lifeblood of success. Uh, right. And when I, when I look at this tournament and I look at the people who are in it, you really have the best, of the best uh, in the Northeast and battle club, in my opinion, in the country, when it comes mm -hmm. to wrestling, different styles, right? Different levels of intensity, different characters. Uh, and if I'm looking at who's in this tournament and the matchups that could come out of this tournament, if I'm a fan, I'm super excited about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm in the tournament and I look at guys and go, oh man, like if he comes out of this bracket, we'd have a uh -huh. great match. If he comes out of this bracket, we'd have a great match. Can't have a can't do it with everybody, right? Because at the end of the day, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. So I'm I'm just really excited about this show, man. Especially as things are getting back to normal, starting to come back, and I think it's time for for indie wrestling to get a fresh start. So the fresh start, you know, we've all talked about because 2020, you know, was rough on all of us, uh, everywhere, any any genre, any work. <laughs> mine mine in particular was kind of rough as well. So. When we say welcome back to wrestling fans in the Northeast, especially at Battle Club, what can they expect from, from not only the show, but from just you? So I don't want them to come to the show, not just from Battle Club, but from me personally, mm -hmm. and get what they are used to getting, right? Get what they had gotten before, 
right? It'd be too easy to get comfortable and everybody just kind of get back into the swing of things and get back in the routine of, you know, here's your 15 match show and there are great matches and there's a couple of good ones and some not so good ones, but at the main event you leave, you feel good, right? Like right. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to innovate here. And so when I look at what Battle Club can do and I look at, you know, the, the direction that independent wrestling has taken over the last couple of years. And, and there've been amazing talents, right? People who've gone to the next level, they've done great things, but it's stagnant, right? It's the same kind of thing over and over. Mm -hmm. And to me, I did a lot of thinking over the pandemic and I realized, you know, what's missing in independent wrestling and people don't like it. They think it's a dirty word, but the truth is deep down, they love it because it's what got you in the door in the first place. It's sports entertainment, right? Like right. that's at the end of the day, you got to be entertained and invested in what's happening in that ring. And that's what I'm trying to bring back. So what part of sports entertainment are you trying to bring back into wrestling? What's important to me is that the people watching a show are invested in the characters they see in the ring. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not just in the performance those characters put in, not just in the same old, like, hey, man, great match. I can't wait for these two to shake hands. Man, I don't want to shake hands with anybody. <laughs> like, I want to beat you. You know, mm -hmm. like Kobe Bryant didn't go into the finals going, I want to be this guy's best friend. He went right. into it going, I want to kill that guy. That's what I want to bring back, that high-level competitive fire. And I know everybody loves competition, right? They love to right. put the stars on the matches, right? Because if that's what matters, it's competitive. Uh -huh. Man, ain't nothing more competitive than bad blood. And that's what I'm bringing back. I want you to care about person A walking in and person B walking in and care who walks out. That's what I care about. And I think that comes from your background as an athlete in general. Uh, you, you talk about competitive nature, you know, and I've, I've seen in other interviews you talk about from the basketball court to the wrestling ring. It's not about, you know, just shaking hands and kissing babies. It's basically about may the best person win. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be you. That's what I, that's what I gather. Here's, here's the dirty truth. And people don't want to talk about it, right? Because, uh, you know, PR is important. Right. But, but the people who are successful, whether it's on a basketball court, in a wrestling ring, in a boardroom, they got to be killers, man. And everybody in the room with them or on the field with them, or on the court with them, they know that they're a killer, right? That's what they, you got to be relentless about victory if you want to achieve success. And you know what? It's great to be, to be cordial with people. It's great to be respectful. It's, that's totally appropriate. It's important. But at the end of the day, you got to want it more than the other person and be willing to do more than the other person. And I've stopped, I've stopped seeing the killer instinct in wrestling. And that's, that's something that I, ca I can't let it go anymore. Where do you think it all went away? Where do you think it went to ride with a killer instinct in wrestling? I got to be honest. I think a lot of people just got way too comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and let's be honest, like wrestling has a long history, right? When you think about the history of wrestling, starting in the carnivals, right? We use that term, the carnies, right? Like yes. that is kind of a brotherhood and it still is a brotherhood, right? In some ways. If you look at the way WWE does things, and I'm not saying this is the perfect organization, but they are the highest level organization in, in the world, right? They set up a system in Orlando where everyone is on the same team, 
But at the same time, that level of competition is really, really cutthroat, right? Like if you're not getting better, somebody else is. Yep. And if you're not improving, somebody else is. And if you take a day off, somebody else isn't, and they're going to get ahead of you. Um, and so I think the dirty secret is that in wrestling, people just got way too comfortable. They wanted to be friends. They want to be liked by everybody. People aren't secure enough in who they are. They look for that validation from other people rather than having it themselves and knowing, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to do. Instead, they're worried about ruffling feathers and, uh, you know what? I just want these guys to like me. I want the promoter to like me. I want this guy who's a good wrestler to like me, right? It's great if you like me. Like, I'm going to be courteous. I'm going to be cordial. I'm going to be respectful. But, like, I'm coming for you, man. Good. And as well you should, because let's be honest here, a lot of to what you're saying, people are just so worried nowadays of ruffling feathers and just not saying the wrong thing or acting a certain way. Uh, I think wrestling needs more more people who are willing to take chances. Uh, so with your mindset, you know, you have this athletic mindset, you have this dominating mindset. How do you take that and channel it into your in-ring work as you get ready for this Battle Club show? So people, uh, you know, one of the things that motivated me the most over the last year, and there were, I, I want to be clear, you know, there were some shows uh, in 2020, right? People tried to do the best they could. Mm -hmm. Some people had some shows, they recorded it, put it on digital, like put it up. I didn't wrestle a single time last year because I said, you know what? I'm going to step back mm -hmm. and I'm going to use this time when everybody else is complaining about not being able to work out or missing wrestling and sitting around and streaming Tiger King for the 35th time. <laughs> Truth. And to be, you know what? I streamed it once. I didn't need to watch it over and over again. Right. Right. But I'm going to take this time and I'm going to add some size. I'm going to add some athleticism and then I'm going to pare things down so that when wrestling comes back, I'm better than I was when wrestling stopped. Not as good, not working into shape. You know, I, like people are going to hate me for this, but I saw some people saying like, oh, wrestling just came back. Like, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't fault the wrestlers if the matches weren't great or if they weren't in amazing shape. They got to work themselves back into shape. And I'm like, yeah, I can fault you. Like, yeah. what the hell have you been doing for a year? You know? Like I, I like I went out of my way to try and put on some size. I bought a sled and was pushing it down the street in New Jersey, like a lunatic, right? And by my parents' house in suburban New Jersey, I bought mm -hmm. a bunch of weights. I made the investment in myself. What did you do? You right. sat around. And if you don't have the money, that's fine. Like go find a playground, do pull-ups, right? Like there's hills. Mm -hmm. You can run. Like you can always do something, right? And I saw way too many people doing a whole lot of nothing, right? And I, I'm going to be honest, like the plan that I put together has me coming to where I want to be maybe in a month or two, right? Like, cause when you, you add weight then you cycle back down, you drop right. some weight, like it's a, it's a process, right? But I'm on the path to being where I want to be. Meanwhile, other people just kind of resting on the laurels. Like, yeah, it was kind of a big deal on in the Indies before COVID happened. Like it'll all come back. Like, okay, man, if you, if you're cool with that, that's fine. But like, like I said before, I'm coming for you. See, I, I can't wait to see that because that's the mi the mindset of a lot of us, you know, New York, New Jersey folk, we have. We have this grind, get her done mindset where it's like, no, there's no excuses because to your point, there's always wrestlers out there trying to get better, supposedly trying to get better. And then when it's put up or shut up, the results aren't there. So I feel like 
now, this was the perfect opportunity. This show is the perfect opportunity for people like you to really show, open some eyes and shut some mouths, you know, who may not know you, who may not know other people who are on this show. And it's, it's a welcome back to the wrestling industry. And, and from what you're telling me, it's a welcome back to the old days of wrestling. To the, so I, like, let, let, me, let me specify that a little bit because people sure. say old days of wrestling and sometimes that comes with other connotations. And so here's my thing, right? I want wrestling to be as good as it could possibly be, right? Mm -hmm. Because at my core, 12-year-old Mick, 10-year-old Mick, 8-year-old Mick is still, still in here. And he loves pro wrestling, sports entertainment, pro wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So it makes me happy when wrestling is at its absolute best. And I have always said this. I still say it. I'll believe it. When pro wrestling is really, really good, there's nothing better than it. Right when you have the moments, not the matches, the moments in those matches, right? That's when pro wrestling's at its absolute best. You and I, we love Bret Hart versus Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13, mm -hmm. right? We can pick that apart. We can listen to the podcast where they break it down, look at all the subtleties. You know what everybody remembers from that match? Not what they did, then the brawl, this. There's one image, right? It's the blood, the blood. coming down Steve mm -hmm. Austin's face. That moment is is that's what's missing in wrestling the moments so i want to bring those moments back and and my thing is you know i used to always be super nice about it i will always be cordial but i'm done being nice like here's my thing man this up here is my level and where i am going to be and where i'm going to be going up from if you can't get to that level it is not my job to drag you kicking and screaming up to that level if you can't keep up if you don't want to keep up there's the door. See you later. You're not good enough. Out. Next. That's, that's, you know what? There's no, that's basically it. That's you either get past or you get forward. Like that's basically for me, how, how I view it in terms of improvement and constant professional and personal development. Uh, I do want to switch gears a little bit really quick, make if that's okay. Just in terms of what you bring to the ring for those who may not know you or have seen you before, how would you describe your in-ring style? So I am very calculated in my in-ring style, right? Like, and this is what I mean by bringing back the sports entertainment. Yeah. I pick my spots very carefully. But when I pick them, everything is high impact, calculated, and meant to be done at that very moment, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll just give you, if you have generic wrestler X, Sure. There'll be a mo moment where they like, you know, they hit this big drop kick and then they do this and then they do this and then, you know, something else. Boom. That's their moment. Right. My moment instead is I'm going to see a guy getting up real slow. I'm going to stalk him. I'm going to find my spacing. I'm going to close some space. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to load up. I'm going to get my feet set and I'm going to take a giant leap because I got hops. If you've never seen a six foot three guy do this, I'm telling you, like I got hops. And I'm going to nail him right in the forehead with a massive drop kick. And I'm going to soak it in and I'm going to take that moment and recognize I hit him. I'm going to look around. The crowd's going to know I hit him. And then I'm going to take the next step. So I'm very much a pick my moments, pick my spots kind of guy. Everything I do is emphasized to the T. So you will not see me rushing through stuff. You'll not see me doing 8 million, 9 million things. But I promise you, the things that I do do, I do better than anybody else. Well said. Uh, I guess my next question is, in that vein of that style, who are some of your 
your contemporaries that you can say, okay, this is someone that I've taken, I've taken my, my own lumps from, I've learned from under that learning tree, or just someone in the past that you idolize where, hey, I want to emulate this style. So there's, there's two people, I'll, I'll pick two contemporary people because I could go all day into the past. Right. Uh, you know, I'm a student of the game. I, I could go all day about Brett and Million Dollar Man and Mr. Perfect. And we, mm -hmm. we could go all day about that. Oh, yeah. I'll pick two contemporaries because I think that's where we are. Um, and these are the highest level guys. So the one won't surprise anybody. I'm a big Randy Orton guy. Yes. Okay. So Randy is incredible at picking his spots, taking his time, and making sure that everyone knows exactly what that character's thinking when they need to know what that character's thinking, right? He's consistent in what he's doing at any given moment, except when he doesn't need to be, right? I think, I think Randy is just incredible from a psychological standpoint, from a physicality standpoint. When he hits a guy, he hits a guy, right? Yeah. There's, no, there's no pulling back. There's no, you know, uh, this is too fast. This is everything he does is super deliberate. And that's something that I've tried to really channel myself for a long time. Uh, and the other one may surprise some people. Uh, it's not going to surprise people who know me, but it may surprise you. It may su surprise some fans. I'm going to go to Lim here and say The Miz is huh. incredible. Yeah. So a lot of people don't are surprised when they hear this. When you look at what the complete package of a superstar is. Now we're talking about one specific aspect of pro wrestling right the superstar world that guy hits every box and then knocks it out of the park right can work with any talent can be on the microphone at any given time can take the emotions of an audience and manipulate them based on what he says how he looks his mannerisms these are things that and I'll just throw some wrestling fans under, under the bus when I say this. <laughs> no, it's true. They don't realize how important it is to what they love, right? When they see it, they love it and they get super into it. But right. they don't outwardly recognize that, ooh, that's what made me care about that. That's what made me get invested in that. So I'm just trying to make sure that that, that technique, that uh, part of the game is not lost, right? And that... In the next generation of guys, we see people who take these things and put it out there for the fans to recognize, oh, this is why I fell in love with it in the first place. This is what's been missing. I'm super into this, right? And and that means all, that means putting a little bit of a modern sprinkle on it too, right? So that's why when I said like old school guys, like, you know, back in the day, I'm fully aware like, hey, man, we got to take what we got from back in the day, take where we are now, sprinkle a little bit of the old stuff on it, kind of put it in a shaker, shake it up. And that's, that's really where the greatness is born. That's where the innovation comes from in my mind. Right. Because what's old is now new, you know, when we go back in the past and bring it, bring it to the here and now, because a vast majority of young wrestling fans, for instance, they won't know who Mr. Perfect is. They won't know. We're going to get to a, a phase where no one knows who Bret Hart is. And it's, pe it's people like you who want to revisit those, those times of yesteryear. Harley Race is another one that springs to mind where people don't know the greatness of that kind of wrestler, where if you do it now, it's considered boring. When you mention methodical, yes, you need a methodical wrestler. You need someone to be calculated, to hit all those spots. Those like, the, you mentioned The Miz. The Miz for me, as much as people hate him, and that's the point, he does so much just with every little thing he does. And I've noticed that when you, when you were in Battle Club the last couple of years, 
where people just started to boo you just because you walked out. And that's, that's impressive because I know Darius Carr is the only other person I know that can get booed just by walking through the curtain. But you've been able to emulate that as well. And, and, and now that you're telling me, you know, the contemporaries, that's impressive. You know, I, I, and I wonder for you, is that something, let's say you ever, you get into training down the road, you want to like, train the next generation. Is that something that's important to you to keep passing that forward? It is because that's the stuff that makes you successful at the highest level for as mm -hmm. long as possible, right? If you have that in your toolbox, you yes. can continue to do this for as long as you, you know, physically can for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, father time is undefeated, right? The greatest athlete, you know, Michael Jordan stopped playing basketball, right? But he was, at, he played it at a very high level much longer than he probably should have because he knew his spots on the court. He knew where he wanted to get to. He knew where he had to be. He knew how to manipulate that. So the same thing in wrestling, right? If you can elicit that kind of disdain from an audience just by your mannerisms or the way you walk or the, the methodical nature in which you pick your head up over, over the rope or over the turnbuckle, that stuff is timeless. And especially at the highest levels of the game, right? That's the stuff the camera needs to capture. Um, and people don't like to hear this, but the truth is if you're doing this full time, yeah. you can't rely on your athleticism. Right, because at some point, the athleticism is going to decline. Right, mm -hmm. the the physical ability is going to decline. Can you use the other tools in your toolbox as those gifts begin to decline to continue to perform at as high a level of po as possible? If you can do that, you can do this for a really long time. You can make a lot of money, and you can be really, really good at an art you you're uh, you're passionate about. Right, and for the audience that may not know, how long have you been in wrestling? So I have been wrestling. So it's hard to, t to count 2020. I count 2020 as a wash, right? Right. So uh, it's been between 14 and 15 years. I started mm -hmm. my sophomore year of college. Uh, I've had a, a couple of WWE tryouts. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be very honest. Uh, I have worked and done consulting work for WWE on the business and talent development side of things. So being on the tryout side is interesting. Being on the side where you're evaluating tryouts and talent mm. that's under contract and thinking about future business plans and, and whatnot is really intriguing, right? And right. they see that value in me being in that position potentially down the line as things change. Uh, and so I've been around for a pretty long time. Uh, and it's really only the last couple of years that I made a concerted effort to go, okay, time to make my move, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the last couple of years, we had, I, I was in Chicago for freelance, right? I was in Portland for the West Coast Wrestling Connection. I was in Texas for Reality of Wrestling, Florida for Ronin. Uh, I've been pretty good at getting, getting around um, and balancing, you know, being a lawyer and being in school at the same time. So uh, I've, I've been around for a long time. So, you know, if anyone's questioning my love for the game, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. It's there. Well, that's evident because you, like you said, you've kind of ran the gamut, ran the gauntlet of all things wrestling behind the scenes, in the ring, behind the camera, away from the camera. Uh, but then you mentioned something about, you know, your, your job as an environmental lawyer, you know, like on one hand, 
you're this 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 mega heel from what I've seen your work and been there live to see it. You're this mega heel that just gets heat just by walking through the curtain. But on the other hand, you're trying to save the planet. So it's kind of hard to root against the person like that. So how do you balance, you know, those sides of you? Well, so so I will say this. They're not as different as you think, because at the end of the day, if you're a good attorney, right, what are you if not putting on a performance for a jury, right, or for a board of directors if you have to uh, put the fear of God into them, right? Like, what are you if not on stage with the lights on, right? So I don't think those two are as unrelated as people may may think. Now, <laughs> now obviously, you know, Mick Drake, the wrestler, is a little bit of a jerk sometimes. Right. Um, but he's a jerk because he knows what he wants and he's willing to go through anybody uh, at all costs to get what he wants. And it's the same thing. If I'm in a trial and my clients have their back against the wall because they were screwed over by a big company and now the water's been poisoned and they've suffered because of that, like – you better believe I'm going all out and channeling a bit of Mick Drake in those depositions and in those uh, uh, litigation uh, uh, environments. Right. And, and that kind of goes hand in hand also with your with your master's program at Columbia in terms of just strategic communications. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So what is pro wrestling if not communication, right? right. We're communicating with our bodies, our faces, our eyes our mouths, what we say, what we don't say a lot of times. Um, and, I, you know, this is this is not going to be a surprise to anybody who knows me. I have pretty big aspirations, right? Like when I was, when I first got into wrestling, the goal was, oh man, you know, I really want to be, you know, John Cena, right? And then it was, well, you know, I really want to be The Rock. Like, you know, he became this actor, this brand, right? And I did theater growing up. I, you know, that, mm-hmm. so it kind of tracks And then as I got older, especially with this attorney background, this Columbia thing, I went, wait, hold on. Why be The Rock when you can be The Rock's boss? Right? (laughs) Like, so so why be the person on the TV show when you can be the person running the media company? Right? Right. So I have have aspirations that go beyond – uh, wrestling and a lot of times people look at that and they go oh he you know he doesn't really love wrestling like okay like if that's what you want to say that's that's up to you like i know how much i love this but what does it say that i have these aspirations and i'm still better than you at, at pro wrestling right like what are you doing with all your time um but i, I you know to to answer your question i'm very interested in the future of the media business i think it is very interesting how wrestling has kind of been uh at the forefront of this you know, fans may be surprised to hear this. This is not a surprise in the business world. Professional wrestling used to be a live event business, right? It was how many tickets can you sell? What was the gate? How many people can you get into the building? How much merch can you sell? It's not a live event business anymore. It's a media business. It's a media rights business. So big wrestling companies sell the rights to their content to either television networks or now streaming services because they want eyeballs on the product, right? And people want engagement with their streaming service. So uh, I think it's interesting that wrestling has kind of been this marker, you know, before other other parts of uh, the media industry pivoted to digital, uh, wrestling was kind of the first one to do it. You know, we, we can say a lot about Vince, but from a media business standpoint, he's one of the most brilliant media businessmen 
that we've ever seen. I mean, the network was direct to consumer media before anybody was doing it. Now everybody's got a streaming service, right? But really Vince and company were the first out the gate outside of Netflix, maybe to, uh, to embrace that model. And you mentioned that you, why not be the rock's boss? Is that something besides just owning a media company? Like how big can Mick Drake go in both in and out of wrestling? Well, so, okay. So to be clear, that's partly a joke, right? Like why be, why be the rock when you be the rock's boss, but it's also not in some ways. Right. Uh, I'll be very honest. I've said this to people. I should be the person negotiating, you know, when the time is right. You know, when I've uh, had the experience at, slightly lower levels, right? I'm not delusional. You don't just become CEO of NBCU, right? Like that would be insane. Right. Um, you need seasoning, you need experience, you need to make mistakes, you need people who are willing to mentor you, right? All that, all that aside. I think I see myself at the C-suite level. So that's at the, you know, COO or whether that's uh, a chief revenue officer or what have mm -hmm. you at that level at a media company. Now, whether that's Warner or NBCU or even WWE, uh, maybe at some point, like we'll see. Uh, but that's where my interest lies is, is in that world. Um, and wrestling has in so many ways been a great way to prepare for that. As we've seen the wrestling business change from a live event business to a media rights business. That's fascinating. The way you, the way you say that and the way I see social media kind of just garnering to everybody can promote themselves. Anyone can promote with a camera phone, a laptop, anything. So when people say, oh, I can't promote myself well, well, are you actually doing it? Because I feel that's a, that's a big excuse of people. And I feel you mentioning, you know, media in general. You know, this is a media company I'm interviewing you a part of now. And we're starting off, we're, we're, we're clawing our way up and I've been an executive level in nonprofits. You know, my, my background is nonprofit management director, C-suite. So I've done that and I understand that. So a lot of people in, in wrestling don't really understand that when you get to that level of distribution and people coming to see your product, you need to get as many eyes as possible. And I feel that in the social media age and basically what you just said, uh, that's imperative. And if you're not doing that, then you are definitely stuck in the stone ages. They, uh, you know, this has been something that, and I, and I use WWE just as an example, right? Because they're the, you know, the premier wrestling company in a lot of ways. If you listen to any of the people at the C-suite level, whether that's Triple H or Stephanie or uh, the current president, Nick Khan, Vince, whoever it is, and they say, who's your competition, right? And, and that's kind of a softball question from a media person who's expecting them to say, oh, it's AEW or it's uh, you know, MLW or whoever it is, right? But they always give the same answer. They say, our competition is everything, right? Anything that takes a fan's attention away from our product is in some ways our competition, whether that's a book or a show or another sporting event or a live event you want to attend, an experience, a pop-up, an escape room, whatever it is. Anytime you're not consuming our content, that's our competition. Right. So you have to find ways to stay relevant and stay engaged with your audience and then grow that audience. So those are two, two very difficult things to do simultaneously, as you know. Right. Engaging your hardcore audience is difficult, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. But simultaneously growing a casual viewership 
while you're engaging and the hardcore uh, audience is, is very mm -hmm. difficult to do in any endeavor. Right. And, and in wrestling that I think that's the disconnect and, and you can give me your feedback on it when the, the hardcore fans, right. The, the die, the ride or die, the lifers see the, the more sports entertainment -y distribution feel of it all. When they get annoyed and they go to Twitter and they get mad, right. And, Oh, this is bull. Well, I liked back in the day, whatever, back in my day, is it a matter of, for you, is it a matter of they're just not shown why this is valuable to the business or is it more they're just stuck in their ways? Which way do you think they're more akin to? I mean, I think it's possible there are people who are stuck in their ways, sure, right? Um, but I think also, you know, we have to remember, and, and I'm sure you do this, I know I do this, right? Nostalgia is a powerful, powerful thing. And every media company knows this, right? That's why Say by the Bell is back. That's why yep. Friends is back. That's why, you know, like you said, what's old is new again. Nostalgia equals dollar signs. Um, I think if we're, if we're talking about, you know, fans, whether they be fans of more hardcore wrestling or more casual fans, you know, the thing is hardcore wrestling fans are always, almost always there. Right. Yes. And it's very hard for them to completely turn off uh, a product. Right. Like they may step at worst, they may step away for a little while, but inevitably they return. The more casual observer, once they're gone, they're gone. Right. Like they're yes. on to something else. Um, and so I think some wrestling companies have been very smart. They have said, okay, they've looked at the media landscape, looked at what they were going to do, whether that was like WWE launching a streaming service and said, hey, we need to go all in on maximizing our existing audience, right? And, and maximizing and getting them engaged. And you talk about tweeting online, oh, I hate this. I don't like this. That's still engagement, right? That's still engagement with the product. Um, so, uh, you know, if you go all in on that, you're going to get that, that fan base very riled up they're going to be engaged they're going to they're going to stay uh, uh focused on your product and then you have other strategies for continuing to grow the casual fan base with respect to like an international fan base right or a market that hasn't necessarily mm. been tapped right so you can kind of make up the loss of domestic casual viewers with an increase in international viewers. Uh, viewers right so and and you know is that a perfect answer no is it a calculated business answer Yes. Like yes. That's, and that's what, <laughs> there are no easy decisions in business, right? Like at, if there's an easy decision for somebody at the top to make, like somebody's already made it three levels down, right? Right. So I just want to remind everybody, we're talking with Mick Drake here on Big Gold Belt Media. This is Damien G on behalf of the media company. Uh, he's our sponsored athlete for Battle Club Pro. Uh, man, listen, when they gave me a list of people that we could sponsor for this event, I talked to Najir and I said, Mick, if you want to know why, I said, because everyone's going to be jumping on Casey Navarro. Everyone's going to want, want O'Shea Edwards. I said, no, I've seen Mick for years when I lived in the Northeast. <laughs> that guy gets it. He knows what it's like to use his mouth as his mouthpiece to further a match or further an angle and he can go. And I said, I think that's the dude we should put our, our, our horse to. So he is, yes, I may be biased. I don't care. He is our sponsor athlete uh, for May the Franchise Reign, and, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I got a couple more questions. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Uh, so I like to have a little fun at the end of my interviews with people. 
uh, basically saying, you know, like either word association or just quick hit. So I know you went to Rutgers and I know I went to Pace up in Pleasantville and, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of Rutgers people in college. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about Rutgers University? So I'll say this because I, when I was, I remember very clearly when I was leaving high school and I was getting ready to go to college, you know, whatever it is, junior year, senior year, trying to figure it out. I wanted to go to NYU because I wanted to go to school in the city. Right. Mm -hmm. And I got in, but they didn't give me any money and Rutgers gave me some money. Uh, and I went and I told my parents, I was like, I don't want to go to Rutgers. Like every kid in New Jersey goes to Rutgers. Like I don't want to go to Rutgers. My parents convinced me to go. I went best decision I ever made. Uh, great friends, great academic experience, great social experience. Also, I will say the years I was there were the years that the football team was incredible, nationally ranked, number six, made mm -hmm. repeated bowl games. I'm not saying I was responsible for that. I'm just saying interesting coincidence, <laughs> that's all. I mean, it, it might have been Brian Leonard and Greg Schiano, who knows, but it might have been me in the stands. You never know. Um, uh -huh. It's a great school. They're always growing. A lot of the academic experts you read in newspapers, in magazines, they've all come through there. You know, David Stern was a Rutgers alum. That's so right. the network of people that are significant and have accomplished significant things in the media, in business that come from that school, you, you wouldn't actually believe it. It's an amazing school. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of the fat sandwiches, right? Like, give me a fat Daryl with hot sauce any day. If anybody's from Jersey, they know what those are all about. Okay. Uh, also, uh, I know you were a, you know, you played basketball and you mentioned having hops. Can you still dunk, bro? Come on, come on. I, you said Anyone? Father Time comes for all of us, so I need to know: Can you yeah. still dunk? So here's what I'm going to say: Father Time does come for all of us, but I am going to be dragged kicking and screaming by Father Time, <laughs> so that when when he finally gets me, he's going to go, "Damn, man, that guy put up a hell of a fight." <laughs> so. Right now, yes, I can still dunk. I just did it two weeks ago. The gym I, I go to here in New York, they have a basketball court. So once in a while after I go lift, I'll go in there, just grab ball, be like, all right, make sure I can still do it. Uh, I'm not tomahawking like LeBron or anything, but like uh -huh. I, can, I can get up there, and it's clearly a dunk. Uh, and if anybody who, who watches my training or has seen my training, no. uh, they're, actually, they're probably not going to be surprised that I can still dunk. Okay. Because, uh, you know, a lot of athletes say I could still do it, you know, and then when it's put up or shut up, it's, oh, I, I, I sprained my knee and I can't really do it right now or some, mm -hmm. some excuse. So I figured I'd ask because I know people are going to want to know. Uh, another question is, who are some of your favorite people to either A, share the ring with or share car rides with? Oh, man. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about the car rides first and then I'll talk about the in-ring. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention two guys. Um, one is Richard Holiday, right? So mm -hmm. I think Richard Holiday is a fantastic. I'm not just saying this because he's one of my closest friends, you know, in and outside of wrestling. I think he's a great, talented, professional wrestler. I yes. think he has all the tools to be a very successful, uber successful professional wrestler. Um, and he's also hilarious. And him and I have a lot of great conversations. Uh, he's not going to like me saying this, but about what it takes to be a better person, a better human being, committed to your goals, uh, being very self-aware, uh, just in general, when it comes to development and growth and whatnot. And I always, always enjoy those conversations uh, with Richard Holiday. Um, the other one, you know, I don't get to see him as often anymore. Uh, 
when I as I did when I was wrestling on the West Coast. Uh, but hopefully I'll be seeing him more of him soon. Is Alex Hammerstone, man? Mm-hmm. That guy, like Alex, is just a great guy. He's hardworking. He's committed to the craft. He's committed to the wrestling portion. He's committed to the entertainment portion. Uh, and if you follow him, you know exactly how dedicated he is to taking care of his body, making sure he's putting out the best product possible. Uh, both of those guys are amazing to be in the car with or, or on a plane with. Uh, both of those guys are also really fun to be in the ring with. Uh, Richard Holiday and I had, you know, it's, it's one of those underrated matches. I think it was at PAPW a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's, it's a 25-minute burner of a match. Um, <laughs> and those are some of the best ones, right, where it's like not a super, super indie kind of card, but there's a great crowd and just everything clicks, and it's just a fun, fun match uh, to have. Um, yeah, those, those are two that come to mind uh, off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, two more questions, I guess. Number one, you mentioned this, so it's, I wanted to follow up, about personal development. I know you've been a big advocate of that, uh, about people continuously pursuing their goals. Where does that come from within you? So I'm a big believer. Like, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, right? right? Um, and I, I got to be honest, when I started wrestling, I told myself, if I do this, I'm going all out. And if I don't get what I want out of this, it's not going to be because I didn't do the work, right? If you listen to all great athletes, you know, and I'm, when I say great, I'm not talking about average. I'm talking about a Jordan, a Kobe, a Gretzky, a Brady. You know, they all say the same thing or some variation of the same thing. You do the 99% and you put yourself in a position to win and then whatever happens, happens, right? Because the reality of our world is it is luck to some extent, mm-hmm. but you control what you can control and then you let go of what you can. And my thing has always been, how can I put myself in that position by being the best version of myself, right? The continually evolving better version of myself. And so that comes from a lot of self-introspection, which is not easy, right? It's not fun sometimes, nice. but I find value in it. I think uh, if I can do a shout out, you know, Jackson Stone, who's a wrestler, writes a lot about this, tweets a lot about this, does a uh, podcast specifically focused on this topic that's very accessible to wrestlers. Um, I read a lot of books that are about emotional intelligence, uh, EQ, because that stuff is what helps you in business, in sport, right? Like those are the soft skills that really matter. Um, You know, right now I just got Tim Grover's new book, right? It's called Winning, The Race to Greatness. And if people mm-hmm. don't know Tim Grover, Tim Grover was Michael Jordan's trainer, and then he was Kobe Bryant's trainer, mm-hmm. and then he was Dwayne Wade's trainer. So yep. I think this guy knows a little something about having the right mindset if you want to achieve success. And I think that translates to anyone in every part of your life, right? Whether it's being an athlete, being a better parent, a better partner, a better you know business person, lawyer, doctor, whatever it is you do. You know what? That, that's inspiring for me. And, and as, a, as a personal development coach myself, I, I appreciate there's advocates out there in the wrestling world that want people to actually grow and, and evolve. So kudos uh, to that. And I guess my last question is, you know, you, you've kind of touched on it, but what's the legacy of Mick Drake when it's all said and done? It's not, uh, it's not written yet, but it's going to be, wow, this guy blazed a hell of a path. Right. Like I, I will tell you very honestly, 
someone pretty high up at WWE once asked me, you know, what are you doing here? Like, why do you want to be this wrestler? Like, yeah, you're a lawyer and you have this, this amazing job and you're, you're really smart and you're really capable when it comes to, you know, academics or, or an executive type role. Like, why do you want to do this? And I told him the truth. I said, because just one isn't enough for me, right? I want people to look at me and go, wow, that guy was a great pro wrestler and also was a great executive and also was a great innovator and a great entrepreneur. And I want people to look at that and look at that as proof that you actually, if you put yourself in a position to win, if you put the work in, you can do just about anything. You know, there are obviously going to be some limitations. There's family, there's finance, what have you. But if you really want it, if you knuckle down, you can find a way to at least be in the game. And that's what I want people to take away that if you put the work in, if you find, you can find a way to be in the game, whatever that game is in your life, whether it's being, you know, a great, a great partner or a great business person, great athlete, whatever it is, you can find a way to do it, but you just got to want to do it and make it happen. That's true. Words have never been spoken. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, too many people rest on their laurels, like you said earlier, and I'm glad that there's people out there that are constantly pushing to, to reach those greater heights that, you know, their limiting beliefs may not allow them to do so. And if, I can, if I can, one last thing I'll, I'll say, Damien, I know we, I know we got to go. The thing I want people to take away is people aren't always going to like you when you do right. that. Like people are going to resent you or talk trash about you when you do that, because they look at the leap you're taking and they can't imagine themselves taking that leap. So it's just much easier to discard your, your leap, right? And say, oh, that's crazy. Oh, mixed nuts. He'll never get a job with WWE being a wrestler and an executive. They don't do that. They do. They do. Mm -hmm. there's, there's one prominent example. Like, why can't there be two? That's all I'm saying. Right. So just remember, if you want it, you got to go for it. Well, I can't say it any better than that. Uh, if, if I could, I would be in your position. But uh, may the franchise reign, May 29th, Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. Two shows, one champion. Uh, before we go, any last bit tidbits you want to say maybe to your competitors or to the fans in attendance? To the competitors, man, you about to get rocked because you have no idea what's coming for you. I'm telling you. You you coming in here thinking, oh, yeah, show's back. We're doing. We're going to do great. I'm coming in at a hundred miles an hour, man. Like I'm just telling you. So if you can't keep up, that's on you. And it's going to yeah. be pretty obvious who can and can't keep up. Uh, and to the fans who are coming, you know, it sounds cliche, but I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to see a great show. It's going to be great wrestling. It's going to be great sports entertainment. It's going to remind you why on so many levels you fell in love with professional wrestling at the very beginning. And your socials? Uh, I am at Mick Drake, M-I-K-D-R-A-K-E on Instagram. Uh, I use that more than just about anything else. I have a Twitter with that same handle. I don't use Facebook. Facebook is kind of the devil in my eyes. <laughs> I understand they also own Instagram, so, but you know you can't get away from all of it. Um, but I just I don't like the Facebook algorithm all that much. Um, and uh, so so I'm off Facebook for now. But find me on Instagram. Or Twitter, if you want to connect, I'm happy to connect there. Cool. And uh, I thank you again for joining us here at Big Gold Bell Media, Mick. Thank you. I appreciate it, Damon. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the sponsorship. I hope you enjoy the show, man. I know you're going to love it. 
I'll be there. I'll be interviewing, you know, various talents during the show and after their matches. So uh, looking forward to a really banger of a show. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Don't try to talk to me before my match. I'll drop kick you in the head. After the match is fine. Before the match. Yeah, it's fine. I don't like concussions. We do I'm, in the, <laughs> I'm in the zone before the match. You know that, brother. I got you, brother.